0: just take a little time over this message right now, this preach. It's part two of Wholeheartedly, um, and really it came about, I'm going to recap a fair bit of last week, because I I know, I, I just feel like we need to cover some territory. I was reading my Bible on a daily basis, as I love to do, and I was reading through four books of the Bible, called One Kings, Two Kings, One Chronicles, and Two Chronicles, And those particular books cover the story from King Saul to King David and all the different kings of God's people Israel. And when you read the Old Testament, so much of what happens in the Old Testament is pointing towards what Jesus is going to come and do and it's pointing towards the way that we should live our lives. And I read this verse one day that just jumped out at me. As often happens for me, I tend, God tends to speak to me. I process it and then uh, some of those things become a message and others don't. I knew this one would become a message for our church in this season. I knew it would become a message because I, I believe that what God's doing in this place right now is, is a move of God and there's a growing move of God in this house, a growing revival in all different ages and all different backgrounds. From teenagers to young adults, from the rich to the poor, I believe there's a move of God, and I want to speak into that tonight wholeheartedly. So 2 Chronicles 25, 1 and 2 was what I read. It said, Amaziah, or Amaziah, depending on your pronunciation, was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. And his mother's name was Mrs. J, and she was from Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. I read that and I thought, what, what, what does that mean? When you read through this book, every king kind of gets a grade. It's like, you know, it's a little bit like your report card. John has lots of potential, gets distracted easily and distracts others in the class. It's a little bit like that. And so there's a grade for all of the all of the 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 kings, and it goes something like this: So and so was a king, and he was the his mother was so and so, and he either was an evil king like his father, or he was a good king, uh, or he was a he was an OK king. And it describes a little bit. And so I kind of read it, and I find it's an emotional roller coaster. I get to the next one, I'm like, and Elazia, and he did what was good in the eyes of the Lord. I'm like, yes, but he wasn't a whole I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm like, and then I. Rarely wondered, well, what was it that he didn't do that made him not wholehearted? He served God, but not with all his hearts. And so I read in Kings, because often in Chronicles and Kings, they, they record the same journey of the same Kings. It just doubles up. And so I had a look in Kings, and it, and it talks about him in verse 2 of uh, 2 Kings 14. He was 25 years old. When he became king, he reigned 29 years, yada, yada, yada. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet not like his father David, he did everything as his father Joash had done. However, so this, this is what the wholehearted thing was about. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He wasn't wholehearted because he didn't remove the high places. So what you've got to understand is the high places were the places, wherever there was a hill, wherever there was a tree, the people who inhabited that land before they moved in, they had about 29 different gods, and wherever there was a high place, they would build a a sacrifice, they would build an altar, Uh, they they would would put up poles, and they would have uh, evil worship. In some of those places, the the worst would be they would have orgies, They they would sleep with shrine prostitutes, they would sacrifice children that do all sorts of evil thing uh, in the worship in all of these hills all over the place so when Israel moved into the promised land God said whatever you do destroy all the high places do not worship the gods of the high place there's one true God worship him only and I'm going to set it up in Jerusalem there will be a mountain that I will make my my, uh, habitation until my son comes and that's where you worship me So the job of every king was to get rid of the high places. Just as a contrast, 2 Chronicles 31 talks about Hezekiah. Hezekiah did throughout Judah doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple, in obedience to the law and the commands. He sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. The, The other version, the NLT said he was successful. When that when people serve God wholeheartedly, God put blessing on them. When they drew back from serving God wholeheartedly, even partially, God began to remove his blessing because he wants our attention, our love, and our focus. When they turned their way from God, God removed his protection from them, he removed his blessing, and then they began to hit obstacles and problems. And eventually out of these crises, their heart would turn back and they'd come back tail between their legs to God to worship him over again and this cycle began throughout all of Israel and that cycle can be so easily your and in my life that God we get desperate we turn to God we cry out to God we start to experience his blessing things start to go good we discover our purpose we, we get around the right people and then but if we're not careful we start to think well I can do this on my own now Aren't I good? Things are starting to work for me pretty well. And instead of worshiping God, we can allow things to come into our life, become more important. The Bible calls them idols. More important than God in our hearts. And it's so subtle and so easy. And, and you say, well, in, in modern day Australia, here on the Sunshine Coast, apart from going to Mulaney to, to worship idols... God bless some of you who did that and got set free. I'm just kind of half joking, sort of. We've got plenty of millennials who have seen Jesus light and turn around on fire for God. And I love it. I love it. But what is it that's a high place that I need to deal with so that God's got my whole heart, not just a portion of my Sunday not just a little moment of my life. I want you to be prosperous and successful and God's blessing to be on your life. And the Bible tells me here that being wholehearted is the key. So last week we looked at some things that could easily become idols, although they mightn't be little wooden idols. Although that could be the case too. But I described an idol or a high place in our life as just simply this, an unhealthy obsession that comes before God. And so often God comes to us and he says, hey, uh, this, this thing's got a high place because it's taking priority over your devotional life. You've got an hour in the morning and it's this or that and that comes first. And it's not that you don't love God. It's not that you don't want to do the right thing. It's just taking God's place. You get to Sunday and it's like this or that. Like being in the house of God, worshiping God or, or this thing. And when that thing continually pulls you out of the house, it can be an idol or it can be something that takes you out from God. I can find my identity wrapped up in it. It occupies my thought life. And although I want to live for God, this thing is starting to get a bit of my heart. And I just listed out some things that that could quite easily be for us. It could be money. I'm worshiping God, but money's got my heart. It could be TV. The average Australian, I believe, watches two and a half hours of TV or movies. And before we know it, God's getting squeezed out of our life. I remember someone once telling me, I couldn't come to a prayer meeting because that's when Neighbours is on. I'm like... Have you heard of like a VCR? This is a little while ago. Have you heard of it? You can actually record. Just... Shopping. I know. Hush. Clothes. So all the good things. I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about good things that become a healthy, an unhealthy obsession that my identity gets a bit caught up in and it starts to draw me away from God. My career workaholics, my education, my intellectualism, my opinions can come before me and God, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, and if you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend who pulls you away from God and doesn't pull you in the direction of God, and we'll get to that in a moment, my appearance. If the gym's more important to me than God's house, I've I'm, I'm got my priorities out of whack. If, if, I'm, if the mirror's more important to me than looking in the Word of God, because I'm more worried about how I look when I pucker my lips in that selfie. Come on, the duck face. You all know what I'm talking about. The Bible says that the the Word of God is the mirror of who we're becoming like Christ. So if, if some things are becoming more, I'm becoming unhealthily obsessed. And you'll find that it just draws you subtly back from God. But He wants your wholehearted attention, your education, food, alcohol can easily become a high place in your life. I, I salute. I, I believe the Bible is okay with us drinking and, but not getting drunk. Uh, the Bible is kind of clear on that. But I know there are, there are guys in our church who have made a choice that not to touch alcohol again because they know that would easily just, this, that would take them away because of the power and the history with it. And I salute people the, who have the courage to say, I'm, I'm pulling down that high place. I'm not going there in my life. Pleasure. Oh, we live in a world that thinks pleasure is the ultimate experience. So if pleasure is, is my ultimate aim, you'll find that then it will actually become not pleasurable because Jesus said it like this. You lay down your life and then you find it. If you make your life about serving others, you'll find true success and significance. But if, if having a good time is more important to me than my relationship with God, I'll find just suddenly, I'm not following wholeheartedly The last one was my dream. My dream. Oh, but but my dream. I think it's from God. And if I'm successful, I'll make sure I give him a shout out. But maybe your dream is your dream that's pulling you away from God and it needs to be pulled down and God put first and find what dream he's got for you, because I want to tell you, his dream for you, it will be way more fulfilling. It will be way more significant. It will, it, will have, it will have so much more eternal value, and you'll find yourself actually getting fulfilled out of chasing God's dream for your life, not your own. Just These, these are some things. And so Solomon was the first of the kings that began to get drift away from God. And you know what the thing that drifted him away from God was? He started strong with the greatest king Israel had ever had. His dad was David. Greatest king. And he began, and and he started and he wrote books like Proverbs and the Song of Solomon, which is an 18 plus read. Bible talks about romance and sexuality and and the beautifulness of an exclusive relationship before God. Song of Solomon. Don't turn it on now. Right, Just leave it alone. Stay away from there. Stay focused. He writes these books. He writes these wisdom books. He's this incredible leader, anointed from God. He has dreams from God. He builds the temple. People from all around the world come to listen to the God-inspired wisdom of Solomon. He starts great, but he finishes terrible. He finishes terrible because God literally takes his kingdom away from him and 12 tribes get torn in two and 10 go to his servant and two to his son for the sake of his father. Why Why did he miss it when he started so well? Let's have a look. 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Eden, Sidon, from among the Hittites. And the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their God. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives. Oh my gosh. I'm not even going to think about that right now. Royal birth, 300 concubines. He was a busy man. And in fact, they did not turn. And in fact... Imagine all those meaningful conversations. (laughs) Imagine all the dissolving of his wife's emotions. (laughs) Anyway, just don't go there. That's all you're allowed to imagine right now, okay. But in fact, they turned his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God. In fact, it goes on and it tells us on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus eventually went away from. He built, a, a, a sacrificed, and worshipped Shemoth, which was the God where they would literally sacrifice children. He started here, going in this direction. But he just took some steps that seemed innocent in themselves, He got into some relationships that he was justifying to himself, but it's okay because I'm strong and I'm blessed and God's forming and things are working. But the Lord knew what would happen is if you get into wrong relationships, if you hang around with the wrong people, eventually then you're going to have to make a choice between the right way and that relationship. And eventually you'll find that step instead of being on that path leads to that step. And then that step instead of being on that path, it leads to that step. And that's why God is so deliberate about you and I making the choices of who we hang around with, the places that we go, the things that we do, because He knows our heart. The Bible says "Is your heart is inherently evil, and it will easily turn away from God. We'll easily lose our wholeheartedness. So that's why Jesus said, you've got to be brutal, In the decisions that you make, so that there is I mean Jesus said it like this. It was a metaphor, but he said it like this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There's a fascinating altar call we won't be having later. Chainsaw Jesse who said that. (laughs) Come on, man. So funny. He wasn't saying literally cut your hand off. But he was saying if something's going to pull you away from God, even one step, be ruthless. Don't give it space in your life. Don't give it time in your life. there's For some of you, for a season. Now, here's the thing. Religion goes all about don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. So much of what I read out earlier are all good things that God wants to bless you with. But you'll know that there comes a moment where something's pulling your heart and you've just got to make a decision. I'm not doing that anymore for a season. I'm, I'm not going to listen to that music for a season. I'm not because that takes me to a certain place. I'm not going to go to those places for a season. I'm not going to hang around with that crew for a season. I'm not. I'm not going to do this. St- I'm not going to watch that stuff for a season. Because although the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure in this season right now. I've got to make sure that I don't take that step that leads to that step that leads to that step. I'm going to cut that step off to follow God. I'm going to be wholehearted. One of the greatest barbecues in the New Testament was in Acts chapter 19. I love this. Many who, believe, who became believers confessed their sinful practices and a number of them who had been practicing sorcery bought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. I want to tell you there's some things that doesn't matter how valuable it is. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to get, give it away. Just get it out of your life because what is valuable is wholeheartedness with God and being on fire for Him. And so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Can we close our eyes right now, right through this room? I know God's talking to people tonight. He's talking about that one step That one thing, that one habit, that one thing that's got its wrong, uh, it's, it's got a place in your life. It's time to let it go. Before we get to that, the first thing I want to do before we go any further is if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God or you once had a relationship with God, but you've grown distant, the light went dim. It mightn't have all gone all out, but it's gone dim. You find yourself in church tonight for someone else's sake, but you find your heart getting awakened. You can sense the Holy Spirit drawing you. The love of God reaching out to you. Maybe like Ashley, your heart's been warm. Maybe there's just a fight going on on the inside. You want to run away. That's the other guy. That's the devil trying to rip you out of your destiny. But tonight's a night for moments. Moments. And your moment right now could be to get off the path that's going down the wrong track and get on the path That leads to Jesus, leads to life. See, every one of us in this room have been created for a relationship with God, every single one of us. We've been created to live life wholeheartedly in a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we'll never be truly fulfilled. there will always seem like there's a hole in our heart until we surrender our life to God. And you can have all the success in the world, but still be empty spiritually, and it won't be satisfying. Or you can find yourself in a hole, in a dark place, thinking there's no way out. But tonight I want to tell you there's a way out. His name is Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to ask if you would like God to come into your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll say when. When I say that, I want you just to, if you're going to say, John, I want God to come into my life. I'm surrendering my heart. I want you to raise your hand. If you're not in, you might believe God's real, but if you're not in relationship with Him, He doesn't have your heart. In a moment, I'm going to get you to raise your hand. Hands are already going up. That's so awesome. Maybe you're here tonight and you once walked with God. Thanks, man. You once walked with God. And you haven't stopped believing. And you tell yourself that you're still okay. But if you're really honest with yourself in this moment, you know Jesus is not number one. You know you've drifted away from Him. And tonight's your night to get back right with God. There'll be a wrestle going on in your heart about this, but I know it's for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're just not sure if when you die you're going to go to heaven. You hope you are, but you're not sure. You believe in God, but even the devil believes in God. We don't get to heaven because we're good enough or because we believe in God. We only get to heaven because Jesus was good enough. Jesus Christ was crucified, nailed to a cross for our sin. He bore our pain. If we put our trust in Him and surrender to Him, we can have the new life that He died for and He rose again for. So I'm wondering right in this room right now, if you're saying, John, I'm away from God and I want to come back, or I want to begin a relationship with God because something's missing in my life, Or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven right now while eyes are closed and we're praying. Would you just raise your hand up and say, that's me. I want God to come into my life, wherever you are. Thank you down the back. Thank you over here, guys. Thank you. Who else right now? Would you raise your hand real high? You're saying, that's me as well. I want to surrender my life to God tonight. I want to get right with God. Raise it up real high. More people, thank you so much. If you're saying, I need to get back to God. I drifted away, and tonight I need to recommit my life. Thank you. I see your hand. That's awesome. Who else right now? You, you're, you're in that. You're the same. It's like you're running from God on the inside, but it's time to get back right with God tonight's your night. Don't put it off. Don't wait for the perfect moment. This is the moment. This is the moment of transformation. This is the moment of change. If you'll surrender to God right now, would you raise your hand and join with these four who've already raised their hand and say, "Yeah, that's me as well." fantastic, down the back, I see your hand, that's awesome, that's fantastic, thank you, who else right now, I'm waiting, thank you over here, that's awesome, I see your hand, thank you, God bless you, who else right now, now is your moment, I feel like there's still some more, your heart's in a wrestle, there's a tug of war going on, that tug of war is because of God's love so much, He wants you to surrender, and if you surrender, not just lightly, but if you surrender, giving your life to Christ, then tonight, you get your, tr- your life back on track, the track God's got for you. If that's you, I'm wondering, is there one more person tonight's your night? Would you raise your hand as well if you haven't yet before we pray? Just raise it up real high. So John, that's me. I need to get right with God. Wherever you are, raise it up, raise it up, raise it up, raise it up. All right. Fantastic. Keep our eyes closed. I want us all to pray together. There's a the number of people. You raise your hand. I want you to pray this from your heart to God, and we're going to join with you. Say these words after me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus who died on a cross for my sin. I'm sorry for living my way. I'm turning to you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I renounce the devil and all his works. I thank you tonight. I'm forgiven. I'm born again. I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for these guys. God bless you. Awesome decision.